This is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Double Shot. Welcome. So we would have had an episode for you this past Wednesday. (laughs) If we hadn't had a technical difficulty, multiple technical difficulties, the big one was my foot. <laughs> when we were setting up, we, uh, we actually thought we recorded an entire episode, which is similar, but not the same to the one we're about to unveil here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, almost fell over. Apparently my foot <laughs> ripped out the uh, USB cord from the microphone. <laughs> And when we looked at the uh, final recording, there were 20 seconds of recording. It was everything leading up till I almost <laughs> fell over and then there was radio silence. And then when we tried to record it again, because I didn't restart the computer, the software, Reaper Digital Audio Workstation, uh, was not picking up the signal from the microphone. It was coming in just like a buzz and a hum. Oh, and there were fears that maybe the microphone was trashed. But turns out just had to turn the computer off and back on. But we did find it very fascinating and sort of funny. We didn't think it was funny at the time. Yeah. That on the episode about leaving things out, we yeah. <laughs> left, left the whole thing. The whole... <laughs> That's right. We should have just posted that and people would have been like, what the? <laughs> just hear background quiet on the set. Um, so we do apologize yeah, for our listener but... for not having an episode last week. Yeah, hopefully it was worth the wait. And also we had a nephew graduate high school and we had family in. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, ultimately we figured the world would still spin (laughs) and uh, hopefully you'll be here for this one. So Uh, today we're talking about addition through subtraction, basically. So leaving stuff out, how to know when to leave stuff out, the effect of leaving stuff out and as always, it's something that probably works on multiple levels, but generally we're talking directly about if you're working on something. And there's uh, the idea that when you're like, oh, I'm working on this thing, I'm all inspired, I want to put all the cool things into this thing that I'm working on. If it's a book, maybe you have 40 characters, maybe you have a lot of settings and scenes and things because you have all these cool set pieces you want to include in there. When you're first starting out, you do get kind of jazzed and excited. You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a dragon and there's going to be a spaceship and there are going to be these trolls. And then people are like, what is this? <laughs> and uh, I think we can liken it to when you're cooking. If you're making a pot of stew, you don't put every spice you have in your spice cabinet in there because otherwise, and every ingredient, otherwise it'll taste weird because nobody likes hard-boiled eggs and stew. Do they? <laughs> I do. And stew? That. No. Yeah, I like scrambled no. eggs myself. Anyway. The idea being that by putting too much in, it, it overwhelms and becomes less than the sum of the pieces, I think, is sort of the deal. Whereas if you either take stuff out to give your main concepts room to breathe, then you have more of a likelihood of creating something that's greater than the sum of the mm. parts, greater than the whole. Yeah, and so 
my question to you is, when have you finished a painting and looked at it and said, oh, it's too busy, there's too much going on, or maybe in hindsight, looked at something that you'd created earlier and, and thought, this is awesome, and then you look back like, wow, it just, it's too busy. That yeah. happens all the time, yeah. that second one. And the first one, I definitely with experience, it's getting much, much better. But I tend to want to over-describe. So I want to do everything in one painting. And I have had instructors over the years say, don't try to do everything in one painting. And I have been guilty of that, of trying to do too much. I've tried to, you know, self-examine in terms of, is that, am I trying to prove something? I wonder if there's some some effect there where, like when we were in high school and the teacher's like, all right, you need to write a paper. And it's like, well, how long does it have to be? And so if you have space, you feel like you need to fill it. Or it's also like your creative attic, where if you have space, you just fill it until it's full. Yeah. And painting teachers, I mean, there is definitely something to a foreground, a background, mm-hmm. you know, so just having a floating head with zero stuff in the background or whatever, yeah. you know, you're kind of taught to not do that. But I had a very interesting piece of feedback from a workshop instructor recently who pointed out that in this still life that I had done of one piece of fruit, yeah. banana, and I had done all this stuff in the background. Really what I had done was a whole bunch of stuff in the background, and then I painted the banana, I think, on top of it, probably. She said, you've painted this beautiful piece of fruit, and then you've distracted from your focal point with all of this stuff going on in the background. And it was so fascinating. Once she said that, it kind of hit me that I do that a lot. I get attached to these little uh-huh. marks and stuff like that. So what I should could do is take something like that to another painting and keep exploring that concept. Instead, I just sort of keep pouring into the one that I'm working on. And so uh, I end up maybe diluting the message that I'm trying to convey. It's interesting that that we do have this desire to fill the space, but it's also interesting, I was wondering if I was thinking, oh, well, maybe it's mostly abstracts that you have that issue with, but a banana is not an abstract by any means. And thinking about paintings that we do enjoy, even something that's impressionistic like Monet or or a Van Gogh, there are still sort of these swaths that kind of allow your eye to rest some. I mean, you know, Starry Night has some pretty good movement if you want to do a real popular one. And I wonder about that that you need to be consciously thinking about that when you paint? Or do you, you know, I mean, ultimately, if you're doing this for you, it's okay to explore stuff. But if you feel uneasy about something after you've finished it, maybe that's something to kind of step back and go, hmm. You had mentioned that that whole idea of going back later to something, and, and it's really quite shocking how often I look at something when I finish it and I go, oh, I love that. I love that usually accidental effect I got by doing this certain thing. And then later, coming back to it and going, ah, yeah, there's too much. It's cacophonous. It's not harmonious. I think of cartoons when they'd always have somebody falling down a stairs or a frenetic scene in cartoons. And you have like, you know, cymbals and drums and whatever else. And sometimes when I look at certain paintings, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's not for me. 
But I guess if that's what you're trying to convey, then that's another thing entirely. Like, yeah, no, I want this to feel, make people feel uneasy and stuff like that. And some people want to feel that, right? When they look yeah. at art, they want to be energized and excited. Sure. And some people want to be calm. Yeah. I mean, I think of uh, Pollock is a pretty good example of somebody to, who, to me, feels pretty frenetic and very energetic, more so than I prefer to have. Thus, I don't watch horror movies. Definitely doing too much in those. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I attended the Virtual Nebula Awards last weekend, and it was interesting because the idea of taking stuff out or knowing what to leave out uh, there were multiple times where authors mentioned, well, what you leave out or take out is just as important as what you put into it. And I, as we, we had already come up with this idea that we wanted to explore this on the podcast, and then that came up, and I was just like, oh, that's really interesting. And, and some of the authors reported how they underwrite. Like, I, I underwrite, and then I go back in and I fill in the gaps, and then a few fewer authors mentioned that, well, I actually overwrite and then I go and take out, but it's all a matter of finding that right balance. And I think that's kind of it, right? In a nutshell is you're trying to achieve some measure of balance with whatever it is you're working on, whether it's an, a skewed balance or a harmonious balance like you were talking about, but that's, that's going to help determine what you need to take out and put in. I've had the issue where I have a lot of stuff in my head and I'll go and write and I, I'm, I can write a lot, so it feels like overwriting, but then when I go back and read it, I would say conceptually it's underwritten. So it's missing the details that I was seeing in my head. It's missing the emotion or the mood that I had in my head when I wrote it. And it's just kind of fascinating how the revision process for me is, a, is and I think for most writers, is where you're taking stuff out and adding stuff and just trying to find that right mix. And it takes experience to know that you haven't conveyed it. Because sometimes people, write, I mean, like when they begin or oh, whatever, yeah. they think they know what's going on. So they think that they've conveyed it to the reader and maybe they haven't. Yes, multiple read-throughs is always a good plan. <laughs> it's funny too, like all the things that I was taught writing composition in school, do your first draft and then you go back and revise. And of course, who among us does a lot of revision in middle or high school, probably not many, because you're just like, oh gosh, that's due tomorrow. I better get this done. <laughs> and in hindsight, I kind of wish I had done more of that because I think it would have better informed my writing now. But here I am and I'm doing it. And uh, it's pretty interesting. Even this morning I was, I'm editing, I'm on draft number four and I'm editing some of the early scenes. And because I have all these notes and I'm actually incorporating, so I'm putting stuff in, putting some details in that kind of are going to bind the whole story better. But I'm also taking out stuff because what I find is I repeat myself where a character might do something that indicates a thing and then I tell the reader what the character did to indicate the thing or the character has dialogue that says, what you know, instead of my stuff operating on multiple levels in the early drafts, I put all the levels in separately. And then I was like, all right, well, so how do you convey this? And that's really a neat exercise. Um, and I would hope that over time I get more efficient, at least with the subtext and the multiple layers in the earlier drafts, but, you know, who knows. And so one of the panels that I attended was on flash fiction. The definition, depending on who you talk to, is anywhere between about 500 and 1,000 or 1,500 words, and you have to get a whole story in that space. And so these authors are talking about how 
you know, you write this, this one author was talking about, oh, well, you know, I, I'll write 3,000 words and then I'll get feedback and then I'll write, you know, add more to it and then it just gets bigger and I can totally relate to that. Where it's like, well, this is barely a short story anymore and I have to cut it to, to get it to a length that will actually be accepted by markets. But everything feels so precious because I'm trying to tell a big story in a small space. Whereas if you exercise it with the flash fiction, you really have to make every word count. You can't just, like as a novel, it's like, as I just mentioned, it's like blah, 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 blah. You know, just you can write as much as you want because you can always hack a bunch of stuff out and still have it be kind of loosey-goosey. But for flash fiction to be effective, it's you really probably have to home in on a singular idea and maybe a singular scene. And then you have to have words that imply pasts of characters, you know, their past history. Somebody mentioned that, yeah, you use the title itself to help really set the stage for the story, which I thought was like, oh, that's brilliant, of right, course. You can't waste anything, right? And, and they, they were talking about how flash fiction stories generally tend to have longer titles, and that's probably why, because you're setting the scene <laughs> with the title, and then boom, you're into the story. Have you read a lot of flash fiction? I haven't. I've read some, and when it's done well, it's just like, oh, you know, just like poetry. Mm -hmm. Same kind of thing where when, depending on what kind of poetry you like, I think of poetry similar to visual art where a lot of short form poetry is fairly abstract in a lot of ways. You don't necessarily like read and go, oh, that's what that means. It's like, what did I just read there? <laughs> and then ultimately it uh, winds up being something that you bring all of your, that was the other thing, readers bring all their baggage to the, these flash fiction stories. And so you have to do a lot of implication too, right? So you, just by saying the way somebody, you know, does a little body adjustment kind of speaks volumes, or if they have a way that they respond to a character might indicate a lot of past history between them, which does translate into all lengths of fiction. You still want that, but the flash fiction, I think, would be fun to try that for a long time, like a year or something, just to really hone those skills to be able to make every word count. One of the authors was talking about, and I love the concept of words punching above their weight. And so again, that kind of just goes back to having your words do some heavy lifting and do more than just have one meaning. Yeah. Led Zeppelin would be proud. I have been really impressed having to apply to these shows, you have to write an artist statement. Oh, yeah. Well, one of them will ask for a 400-word artist statement, and then the next one will ask for a 150-word one, and I'm applying with the same pieces. And so I complain about it, having to cut everything, and like, how am I going to, I don't know, I already tried to narrow it down as much as I could. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> and then I do, and I go, oh. I mean, you really trim away the unnecessaries. And it's, it's really a good exercise. Even if you're not applying to things, you should try to practice describing your art in a short amount of words because it forces you to really figure out what, what, are, what am I trying to say? I think that that applies to all writing. And the best part is it really forces you to know what you're about whether it's your artist statement or whether you're doing a piece of flash fiction or you're writing an email. That's, you know, I find myself like, da -da, it's like, all right, well, that doesn't, that doesn't say anything. That's just, fog, you know, obfuscating the actual point of this email. And then you wind up with the one sentence email instead of a three sentence email. 
Yeah, I think oh, it is a great how exercise. Oh, I wish more people would do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I think it's that thing where the volume of whatever you create is an indication of how much work you've put into it. Right, exactly. And I was thinking about your, mo- your most recent series, the uh, Soft Animal series, and how that's a pretty big departure from a lot of the art that you've done before that, in that there is a lot of open space and it's inspired by our, our living space here. And uh, it, it allows you to really kind of look around, but still your eye comes back to the focal point of the piece versus your boobs and womb stuff, which I think is, is appropriate for that series, that it is, it's maze-like and intricate and has a lot of hidden things in it if you look at it long enough. Um, and that's not to say that these don't, but these definitely are less sinuous and winding. Was that intentional or is that strictly a function of the subject matter or, you know, tell? I think it really is a function of the subject matter, A, because our house because we did move here and we didn't have a lot of furniture and it's, you know, sort of clean lines and starting over from sort of a cluttered space (laughs) to a much less cluttered space. A bigger space too, yeah. (laughs) But it also is a function of the subject being so clear to me and it's extremely personal. I haven't talked a lot about what it's about, but, you know, it's got, I mean, it, it has a lot of layers, but it has to do with a, pretty much a mother-child relationship or a home. It's family, you mm-hmm. know. And so I am so aware of my subject of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that no, that totally makes sense. That I'm not putting a lot of visual stuff into the painting. You're not trying to figure it out as you go, right. or maybe with the abstract stuff, you kind of have been. I don't know. Well, it's true, though, too, that the abstract stuff, that particularly the boobs and wombs, came in like a thunderstorm, you know, like during that residency. So it, it kind of hit me, and then I just worked feverishly on it for a few months, and then it sort of... You know, I still do some of that, but it really, it really was concentrated because I was getting ready for a show and also having that revelation. Whereas with this, I started small, I started doing little sketches, I based it on a few photographs that I have in our living space of our child. And, And so I really did a lot of preliminary stuff with it and thinking about it and writing about it before... I did any big pieces with it, and I didn't talk about it with other people. And I, yeah, it's just it's so interesting. It's a completely different yeah. feeling. And you've tried, like you've put multiple elements in there, plants in the foreground, things like that. And it seems like you've kind of backed away from that as far as like taking that out because you are just focusing on the middle, whatever. I don't know if it's the middle yeah. ground, but you know. Yeah, the, the, the thing figure. That, yeah, the figure, the, the thing that you're... A child that you're and a most cat. interested in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is cool though, because right, that's like a, a good indication of recognizing that I don't need more in here. It, it can stand on its own as it is, and um, I think that's the classic. It's the embellishment. Well, people won't will think you know the inner critic steps up is like people will think that this isn't deep or doesn't have layers if it doesn't have a bunch of stuff in it. Yeah, and I was thinking about layers and. I think about some of your paintings and I think about uh, 
someone like Rothko or other abstract artists that have their paintings immediately seem simple because their composition is not cluttered and maybe it only has a handful of elements and maybe there are only a few colors or at least at first glance there are only a few colors and you start really looking at it it's like wow there really are a lot of layers here i was thinking about music too um blues music 12 bar blues and you think of these old timer blues guys playing and it's like wow that sounds pretty stripped down and basic and then you see how they do it and they you know they might have some an alternating thumb bass going on while they're finger picking the melody at the same time and then they're strumming or playing the slide and yeah and uh it's often held as the ideal of art is to make it look easy or make it look simple, knowing all the while that if you're an appreciator that you recognize that there's way more to it than that. And uh, the old saying, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of neat. And thinking about space too in music, uh, thinking about bands and their interaction with each other. And a lot of times the band isn't everyone playing frenetically at once, even though sometimes it might seem that way or maybe it is in a crescendo, but usually it's the band making space for other band members so that they can kind of have fill-ins and complementary sounds to each other that, again, create a bigger whole than the sum of the parts. I'm not good at the math. And I love that. I just, I love that idea, you know, the idea of letting things breathe and giving them space to, to be what you want them to be versus trying to hammer people over the head with what you want to make sure they get when they see it. And ultimately you have to trust, again, going back to that concept of people bringing their own stuff to art, you have to trust that they're going to get it or that they'll get something, even if it's not what you intended, which is not uncommon, right? Right. Someone sees someone's like, oh my gosh, that totally, you know, if you're in a certain place in your life, it speaks to you on this level and uh, other people see it differently. And yeah. I, I, it's always it's not yours anymore when you put it out there. That's right. Yeah. And I guess that's another call out for enjoying the process while you're in it and creating because that's really the only time that it gets to be exactly what you want it to be. And yeah, so that's, uh, that's your homework. After you leave here today or tonight or whenever you're listening to this is to maybe revisit some of your favorite art forms or if you're reading right now or looking at some visual art, just try and look for those spaces where maybe the artist has actually left stuff out. Or if you find something maybe troubling you a little bit, like, well, what could they have left out and still kept the heart of the piece intact? Yeah, I like that. And yeah, so speaking of leaving things out, that's all we're going to talk about this episode. And uh, we'll see you all next time on the Creative Double Shot. See ya. See ya.